0: I'm John McCarthy, Uh, I'm a 61-year-old man, a journalist, uh, writer and broadcaster uh, who works for the BBC and I've written a few books, the first of which was about my uh, experiences as a a hostage back in in the late 80s when I was working in Lebanon, uh, my first foreign assignment and was uh, kidnapped and, and held for five and a bit years and that was sort of my curious claim to fame. Uh, but that experience took me from working in a newsroom, when I got home, that is, uh, to being able to write books and present TV programs. So in a very curious way, it was, it was a great career boost. And mm. Put me off on different ch- ch- channels.
1: Um, so from what I know of what I've read about you, you were someone who, before you were taken hostage, you were imaginative, your imagination was part of what you were doing. And, and it is now afterwards, <coughs> But I wondered if you might share your experience of the journey that your imagination went through during your captivity and and out the other side. Yeah, well, I think
0: Mm. certainly going into that experience, um, initially one was in a state of shock, not surprisingly, terrified. I was kept in solitary confinement for the first three months. And I had no idea you know, who'd taken me or why and therefore what was going to happen next. So I was living in fear of my life, etc. So one's imagination can take off in all directions. Every, every noise that you hear, I was in an underground cell, means that somebody's coming. Are they coming to get you or one of the other prisoners who I didn't know who they were? Many local Arab people. Um, what does that mean? So you've heard, but weirdly, so your imagination is playing furiously. In captivity, that anything can mean anything, everything is significant in some probably crazy way. Uh, and I think that's probably because in, in, in solitary, in a solitary situation like that, not are you, are you hyper-aware, hyper-tense, but also you've got no one to bat ideas against or share ideas with, so you've got no, 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 nobody else giving you perspective, so it's just you, absolutely nothing else to relate to. Um, and no communication with even with the people holding me, for, for nearly all of that, all of that first three months, and so no, no idea what was going on, so that was that was very intense. So on the one hand, I'm living in this sort of completely, almost like a fantasy world that I'm in, <laughs> and then the other fantasy world that is keeping me sane is imagining that I'm released the next day, and I get on the plane that I missed getting on because I was uh, hijacked, so to speak, and getting back to London, meeting up with my fiance buying the flat we wanted to and then I would take that further and we'd be on holiday and this would happen and this would happen. So you so would scenarios. play those scenarios. So I would play those scenarios. And the imagination were on one level which was not a, um, not in terms of creating something new but actually creating something old, if you like. So being with Jill, my girlfriend, or going out to my mom and dad's house in the country uh, at a weekend as I often did for a bit of R&R and going for a walk and then Sunday lunch at home. So these were reimaginings, if you like. Safe, wonderful places where I knew I belonged, literally and literally was home. Both home, if you like, emotional home with my girlfriend, and emotional and actual family home with my, with my parents and brother. So that that would escape there. So, but, but living in the real real time, although it seemed like a fantasy world in itself because it was so weird and spooky. There I was in this tiny little underground cell, uh, and coping with that level of well, I suppose it was a sort of hyper-stimuli, but with no stimuli, it's a sort of strange thing, so there was nothing, it was just a blank, completely blank little room, little concrete cell with a metal door, and a filthy mattress and, and blanket, and that was it, of which I was let out of once a day. So that was, that was that, that was that experience, and it became very twisted, somebody, another prisoner was tortured, and I heard him being he was shot, you know, you heard him screaming and all of that, um... One was constantly imagining escape, trying to work out how to escape. And it was just finding little, well, disgusting little toilets at the end of the bathroom, at the end of the corridor, where we were all taken one by one. And of course you're blindfolded. See, you're, again, you can't see. You're imagining, you know, it's like meeting you. I think, I wonder what Rob looks like. I wonder what he looks like. i not to judge him by this and that. I think I saw one, one of the captors once, when my blindfold fell off. And it was just a nice young man looking at me, smiling, slightly, you know, like you. Just that sort of get in back again and it's, so, so it's a very strange way to be saying, living, living in a di- different dimension sort of thing. so you're dreaming of that you're, so your imagination is running over time who, who is this man why are they killing him why wouldn't they kill me what is it happening to get me out you're always thinking about what is going on who are these people um, but then also strangely that for instance there were um, air venice that came down This is underground somewhere in the southern suburbs, a big under some big building, whether it was a mosque or a warehouse, who knows? And every now and then you could hear, very early in the morning, if all the, if there was a power cut and these little fans weren't working, you could sometimes hear like a, a Vespa or something, or maybe might like start up, and it was sort of like regular. I thought well, that must be, Ali or Harry or whatever they might be, going, going off to work, so much, yeah. and that was sort of rather a pleasant connection. And that happened again in other places when I wasn't on my own, happily, but was again above ground. Then you'd hear kids talking. Or something quite nearby, suddenly, because you were in an apartment block somewhere. You, know, you couldn't see anything, because everything was sh- metal shutters everywhere, but you could hear the, the world around, and that, that was kind of reassuring. But uh, on, the, on the other thing that you would see, you'd hear a man, so you created a story for this guy, who he was, and somehow that he was friendly. And if you could only get out and maybe nick his motorbike, you could get back to somewhere safe in, in, in another part of Beirut. You know, so. um, but then you'd also hear, when these fans were off they would be a sh- 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 whatever noise, you know, just a sh- sh- noise sound of that. And then sometimes your mind would take that over and start composing music. So you begin to hear, obviously, sounds that weren't actually there, but your brain would start rearranging those bits and bobs of sounds until there was something, some majesty playing. And when I was moved from that solitary prison, I met Brian Keenan, the Irish guy who was then with me. We were together for the next next four years, and when we talked. And it turned out he'd been he was in that place too, and he'd been taken a week before me. And he talked about it just just that way about about that and uh, about how he said he used to sort of. And in fact, we we watched on a film together about a mu- movie about it. And it, was a great scene of the actor playing Brian dancing around in the cell to this music, you know, which of course is only in here. But so we both shared that sort of strange thing of of playing with the world, and that can become more neurotic. You, know, you begin to think. When that chap comes, he's he's dangerous and he's going to kill me. And you, based really on nothing at all. So when we were together, we could then have that sense of perspective about what was going on, uh, and that was very reassuring. And also, there was just somebody friendly that you'd actually see. Obviously, you can, didn't have to wear a blindfold with with each other most of the time. So that was good. Um, but then, then I think the imagination took off because we were fucking bored most of the time. It's simply that. Because we didn't have books, very rarely had books, very rarely. Maybe maybe allowed to watch a film. Uh, you know, they might show us a film. Normally, some god-awful Rambo-style war movie that they would like. But, you know, because they, they would sit behind you, <laughs> real guns, you know, like boys watching, you know, like I used to watch westerns with my dad on the, on the Sunday, and I'd have my little pistol and you know hide behind a cushion shooting the Redskins. These guys are there behind their hostages <laughs> watching Rambo, you know. This is too bonkers. Anyway, it was quite quite Um But we would then, so then we would, and there was a way of escape, was to let the imagination take over. So we would imagine scenarios, and, and this is to entertain ourselves, but also it worked to diffuse the sense of those guys out there with their guns and their chains and God knows whatever. So you'd make up stories, or I would often sort of mimic Bad, thing, obviously, one of, one of the, the accents of the way they, they spoke English or sometimes French. And so you then create a story based about what these guys did at home, how incompetent they were. So you were sort of diminishing them somehow and, and certainly taking away the, the, the terror of them with, 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 with comedy,
1: effectively. Comedy
0: okay. improv songs. Yeah, so it, so it would be improv stuff. And I remember that there, were, there were the times when we had an enormous fun um, doing it, and in you know, <clears> really <throat> shitty circumstances, really you know, bad circumstances. Getting the giggles and you know just roaring with laughter and you know it's just you know what it's like when you smile at somebody. It's, we're just doing it, we're not, we're not, we're not even you know mad giggling fits you know, but just sharing something and that warms and whatever laughter does to the body you know, that, you know it just makes you feel good. So being able to do that under those circumstances was was phenomenal, and then to do it for each other, of course, was was, was extra good. But it would mean that we would sometimes be in a perhaps even freezing cold, very tense place. So, you know, physically uncomfortable, nearly always, but you know, physically very tense too. We know, what's going to happen next, a move or a dangerous guard who, you know, threatening us or beating us or something. But if you could then make a joke out of that and find yourself rolling around, you, you know, it was sort of like an inspiration. Okay? So you're thinking, here I am, maybe bruised for a beating, frightened from a move, chained up, freezing cold in winter wearing a pair of shorts. Haven't shaved, not allowed to. No idea where I am, who these people are. No word at all from the outside world. But I'm roaring my head off <laughs> and enjoying this mad moment. So if that's good, you, know, so you look at it. If it's good, if it's that good here, well, of course we're going to hang on a bit longer together. you know, And that, that was easy to do. I mean, Brown was particularly brilliant company. He was, um, he was a very well it's funny obviously but also you know very intellectual intelligent man uh, and feisty and a bit bonkers you know mm. so it was remarkably lucky to have I was just blessed really you know, to, I mean, still am to have him as a good friend but you know then you know, I could have had the most
1: appallingly boring person or somebody who was, <laughs> you can, uh, actually can compile a list of the people you do exactly you mentioned know. Donald Trump yeah exactly
0: just imagine or somebody
1: with it, just annoying you know yeah. <laughs> and um, so, in Gordon Turnbull's book about trauma, he was because he was the, wasn't he the guy you, when you first came out? Yeah,
0: he was part. Of, he was at that point still in, in the RAF, um, and he was leading the team that was sort of I think sort of the vanguard of the idea, whole yeah. school of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and he and his. RAF colleagues were doing that, and they were using it in the services as a way of getting saying that these men or women are on the front line, they may get shell shocked but it doesn't mean they're screwed, um, and they don't need to lie on a couch forever. It's, it's, it was a very good military way of saying oh, people just need a bit of help. They just need to talk things through, and we'll they will back to business, so to speak. Um, and it was ideal for for the likes of me because I didn't want to spend. You know, I just thought I have dealt with this situation as a captive because um, you know we were there long enough. Luckily, to get just sort of cope with a lot of it. So one good thing yes, I can deal with this. I don't really want to deal with it anymore. But anyway, so one came out. I actually, think that's all. That's all that done. All I'm worried about now is getting back, getting back to work, getting back to life, getting back to my relationship if I can, etc. Uh, whereas obviously it wasn't quite that simple. But it, his attitude was, well, let's, you know, you don't seem to be mad. Anything you want to talk about about the captivity? No. Okay. all anyway. right. So what, you know, from our experience of this sort of thing, captives returning. These are the sorts of problems. This might happen. That might happen. So it's all like bingo. It's all practical stuff, and it was very good. Um, So anyway, so that's what he did, and and, and his team looked after a number of POWs, so service people, as well as they were then in position to help the hostages and help the Americans.
1: Because in his book, he talks about trauma being like a, a series of concentric rings that actually and, and that, that when, when we have trauma it punctures to different kind of depths and so he says the one, that on the outside a ring is sense of humour so you can tell when people come and they're very traumatised they have no sense of humour. Uh, Part of their recovery is when he sees the sense of humour coming yeah, back he yeah. knows that it's kind yeah. of... Yeah. I wonder if you, if you have a sense of... did, did, did you feel like... because according to the sort of literature about trauma what happens is when people experience trauma... Is that the hippocampus, the bit of where the imagination yeah, yeah, fires yeah. from, yeah. kind of fuses, yeah. and so people become unable to imagine the future, and unable oh, to okay. sort of, uh, <coughs> unable to sort of form ideas about the future? It kind of that big. But that doesn't sound like that was an, an issue for you. No,
0: I think perhaps it would have done if I'd been being. Maybe I didn't have enough imagination to start with. <laughs> God, I've no idea how bad this could be. So it's not that bad, is it? <laughs> Maybe I only, you know, only thought about the death threats when I heard about them later. You know. but, um, no, but that's interesting, isn't it? Well, maybe it was just that that two or three months of solitude wasn't, although it was desperate, didn't didn't snap that sense of imagination, mm. so it didn't break And then I was with this person who was quite demanding in an extremely good way, mm. um, but he would be, you know, he would decide he wasn't <laughs> was going to go on a dirty protest. The Brahms from Belfast, he'd grown up in the Troubles, yeah. so knew all about, you know, some left of Irish nationalist politics in Belfast. So knew. um you know about the whole situation of, uh, of of the dirty protests and hunger strikes and all that stuff, which he sort of brought Merrily into our situation in, in Beirut. Well, which was we, sharing a yeah. cell. Yeah, so, so we are a sh- <laughs> Please don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you <I> want? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then, but, you know, there were times when we had to, you know, had, had to defecate in front of each other. Oh, sure we were, yeah. So we did. Uh, but no, he didn't quite go that far. No, it was more just that you know, I'm not, not going to put on your, the clothes you're giving me. I'll wear mine until they fall off. I'm not going to wear the clothes of a prisoner. A opinion I was saying, but well, I don't think they really give a flying fuck about what we think about anything really. We're just here, so we might as well stay um, So we, we would have these conversations and it was I mean, so that was making me think about stuff that I didn't know, didn't understand really beyond headlines. Um, but then it was working about how we dealt with each other and that, that that was fascinating. But I mean it was interesting doing things to keep not exactly the imagination going but the, the brain ticking over, that we would um, play all sorts of silly games. I mean, I, I say silly, you know, basic games, so if, say we happen to get some sugar for something, for somebody, Sorry, you know, then, oh, White, white Brown That's two teams, you know, so we can play throwing games, or whatever whatever sorts of games it might be. So we do that, and then years later, I think after Bri had been released, no, anyway, we had a chess set, this was particularly with one of the American guys who taught me to play chess, which I didn't couldn't play, and it was just extraordinary. And also bridge we played as well. People <laughs> 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 chained up playing bridge, ludicrously funny at the time. And um, but anyway, the, the, the I found that the, the chess thing was fantastic, to the point of completely taking over my head. So we at that point say we may have had a book every now and then, which perhaps three or four of us were trying to be sharing and reading. Of it. And um, <clears throat> and we would, so the idea of chess, I mean, yes, I can go like that, I can go like that. And then, you know, obviously it's a brilliantly complicated game, but you can go from knowing just that that goes like that to working it out. And then I was thinking throughout the day and the night how I was going to beat this lovely American I was teaching me. He was sort of grade 30, whatever it is, compared to my grade point two. <laughs> so he was always going to beat me. But then, and he would, so initially he gave me three pieces and then it was great. And then he said, no, you can have one. And then, well, actually, I'm not sure you can have any pieces anymore, because I was catching him up, you know, which was great. And the game, days games would go for days. It? But it was that wonderful thing of my brain, just going, I move that one there, move that one there. So it's not exactly imagination of being but it was. It was imagining and reordering the world and stuff and stuff. And that was something that I played, all big, as, a, as a boy, well, as a man, but, uh, like as an academic. Element of my character, I was mathematically stupid. I never really got maths. For mm. some reason, they fight me. My brother was even worse, and my dad was hopeless too. But even he was, he was an engineer, so I don't think he built any bridges that fell down. But anyway, mm. so we, you know, that wasn't there. So I would, but I was always be playing some maths games in my head about we've been in this prison that long, we've been in that prison that long. Therefore, that means that this. And now if I divide that by that, how many prisons? That means we're going home in five weeks. You know, and it was sort of, and Brian would say, oh no, had <laughs> yeah, this great phrase, you go like this if it's got a huge thing, roll it up and put it away. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was just, for like, he said, I've been going home for the past three years, every three months, and I haven't gone anywhere yet. <laughs> so it was very funny. Um,
1: so, you, so you managed to, you, you created a whole sort of very active, you didn't allow your like some of the stuff you read about people who are put in solitary in the yeah. US, for example, who just lose them, just lose their mental faculties no. completely because they're just there. They don't. It doesn't. My my reading of it is that they, yeah. they don't come into that situation with. The ability to to do <coughs> that to be able if to piece it, stuff together and entertain no, and I think if
0: so. if you if you, if, you, if, you, if you don't have that, you know, I, mean, I mean, it might have been di- different if I, I, mean, Terry, wait, you ought to talk to Terry, who's another well, things was a client anyway of, of Marx but he had four years of solitary, mm. and I don't know how he managed. I mean, we did get books occasionally, but they were the hard fall for you know, and you know, always stressful and lonely. Of course, there was the loneliness which he suffered from, mm. as well as the tedium. Um, much more than the rest of us, didn't go. Um, but yes, it was so. It was keeping the brain going, and that was really important. Mm-hmm. So it did mean that you got times you would just imagine the horrors of what was going on, but being sometimes the brain would run away with. When we were moved in a, in a new way, we were taped up like um, Egyptian mummies. If you imagine we made a stand up, we were taped made with, with sort of packing tape, and then we were putting it what we can only imagine where seeing see them there were metal boxes underneath trucks to be shipped to another location. And it was unbelievably uncomfortable. I actually thought we were going to be killed. I couldn't believe they were dealing with human beings anymore because they were treating us like that. Um, and in my, my brain, I am just going... Completely wild, thinking they're going to do this. Is we're in some, and I imagine I was, I was thinking those things, those trucks that they have the cup of broken rubbish, and he t- they took the them, and then they go oh, And I thought we were in a garbage car. That's what it yeah. was. So you yeah, know, not a good, not a good impression. And then, then we started moving, and I realized that, that this wasn't happening immediately. But that I was thought I was going to be sick and choke because I was completely covered in plastic and die uh, on my own. All that sort of mad stuff. And then I remember starting thinking, right. Supposing important. I were to uh, have a business, and I'm running. Uh, what am I doing? I'm running a warehouse, and I've got to work out a way of uh, cutting costs, but I don't want to fire anybody. So if, I, if they all work, how many days in a week? How many working days in a week? And So your brain is completely fucked, right? I can't really think, but I think, no, come on, come on, come on. Uh, let's say 60-hour week. Is that right? Is what we do? Is that almost so 60-hour week? How many days is that? Okay, so say it's five hours a day. It's five five. it doesn't matter. Okay, so each of them has to take an hour's are off there, and it was sort of mad, kind of, but desperately trying to keep my head going rather than letting it just go. Ka-dong. So I suppose that's what I was doing rather than just thinking, because I thought I was so close. although Brian was there too, somewhere in these boxes. Mm. Right. But I was thinking, I've got to hang on. I cannot let go. Cause I, think, oh, shit, I haven't thought about it for that moment for a long time. But I thought about the taping thing because i refer to it in speeches just as a thing, but it was that thing of I must not let go. Too much here. I've mm. got to hang on, and the only way I can hang on is by taking myself completely out of the situation and imagining I'm some, you know, some meeting where it's a um, you know, um, thinking outside the box <laughs> uh, situation where where uh, I'm going to work out a new way of we i going to say, sorry, chaps, we're all going to take cup, but nobody's going to be laid off. It's just going to be a bit, you know, we'll earn a, a you know five quid less a week, whatever it was. In the end. God, actually, that, that was so that so that was that was that was that yeah. was really really helpful. So it was playing playing games, literally. Games, like like, like um, and, then, and also the fun of winding each other up was kind of, so if we did have a book, I mean, brands French was, was minimal, if my maths was bad his French was but we occasionally were given, not say novels, often very bad novels in French um, and um, like Mills and Boom I think they were, you know, which we sometimes got in English which didn't really help us but it was something but it, it, and there was this one story, so I was Reading it to Brian, and I, so I just thought, well, like, he has no idea, so I just made it all up. <laughs> and there was another one. Well, we go to Madame Bovary, you know. and my my French simply what well, I must say, that I owed a bad level friend wasn't up to reading. I was fascinated trying to understand what it, what it was all about. But I gave Brian day by day who couldn't read it the story, you know, which I sort of could get some of it. But most of it I just remember that shortly before going to I'd seen the BBC Two dramatization. <laughs> 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 and then on another one I read a, a novel, bad novel before. But this was in English. And uh, and I said, oh it's not very good, Brian. You know, obviously you're gonna read it. Uh, it's just a little thriller. Uh, and I said, you know, I don't want to I don't want to do anything away. Any you know, I don't want to spoil it for you, but just keep thinking about uh, yes. You know, whatever else, whatever else is leading you, and you're thinking this, and the detective's thinking that, and this guy says, just keep thinking about the Roman Catholic, Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. All right. And anyway, two days later, there was no fucking <laughs> priest. <laughs> 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 like,
1: oh, sorry. <laughs> and it was just
0: stupid. Really stupid. And it was so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it was good for our relationship, because it was just like talking nonsense to each other. Lighting each other up a bit. And entertaining each other, yeah, at the same
1: time. So when you got back, what was your? Did, did you feel like you needed to work on rebuilding? You, you felt like you just came out of the process with your imagination intact, or did you feel that when you got back and you got back here and you know, that, that it was something that you needed to give some attention? Not,
0: not, not consciously. No, I think what what I. What was probably in 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 terms of dealing with the real world, it wasn't. It was it was certainly obviously the imagination, if you like, was overrun by the reality of, of the stimuli. You know? It was just like imagine you've been in a room, the blank room, for five years effectively, even with if with other people, but only of the men, and suddenly you're in here. Mm. Literally, just even in a quiet little cafe like this. I mean, there's just so much going on. And you're listening to every single conversation at the same time, which is very hard. Hyper- yeah, so you're hyper-vigilant anyway, from the experience, probably, but also suddenly you are. So you're going to a park, apart from drinking too much, which is a happens when standard, I suppose. But also, you think, well, we well, that's fascinating, isn't it? And, you know, and women, of course, were absolutely fun. You're know, gay, so we were absolutely fascinated. You know, everything was going on, and food, well, I don't know if you're whatever. So, so, the real real world simulator were just sort of were, were fantastic. Um, so the, I wasn't conscious of. I, I, I did not think I even thought about the imagination being. I then had to use it, I suppose, to put my when I started writing book, the book, first project I worked on with Mark, um, a book about the captivity of the children. My girlfriend had been campaigning for it so then you have to sit down and try and use the imagination to describe the scenario, you know, the capture scenarios uh, as they were, even what, telling some of the stories I've been sharing with you this morning. You know. So then you're suddenly do, doing that. So that's something you're how do I phrase that? So then you're you're using the, you're getting the muscles going again, rather than just in the normal way thinking, oh, how, so how do I do that? So how am I going to express this? So, and which was very cathartic, but also good fun in terms of the, the purely creative side of it,
1: but it happened, it, it, but you, you could do it, it didn't you feel mm. like that was...
0: No, it didn't, it wasn't like... No, no, it wasn't, so it, it sort of it came and it was, it was quite good fun.
1: So are there any sort of thoughts, like, it, that actually, if we if, if were in a scenario where our collective imagination was a sort of weakened thing, do you have any thoughts about how we might rebuild it again? Is there anything that you can sort of draw on from your experience? Well, actually, I, I think I think
0: what you said about a, a, a little while ago, before you started recording, about what could you do with this pepper bomb. There'd be a hundred things to do, just mm. this funny little bit of China. But I remember one point, this is interesting, It's just I'm glad you asked the questions, it's taken me back again. And I remember at one point I was very depressed in captivity, losing a bit probably, and Brian was very worried about me. I don't really remember this totally, but he remembers it, it's obviously I was the one, occasionally we'd close down, we'd so just go into a blue funk, and we'd leave each other for a couple of days, and then you'd start saying, hello,
1: hi Rob, uh, what, how are you
0: Rob? Rob, mm. you know, was determinedly out to lunch, so to speak, and then you'd eventually sort of get through to each other, which is all right, We would let each other have a sort of calm, quiet couple of days, it's so just sort of an emotional, or whatever, mm, overload, we'd close down a bit. But I remember he, he was telling me that he said he had this thing about, John, you've got to start thinking about something. And I was sort of going, well, what about if my mother, right, I see my mother being allowed to see my mother in a, a video appeal that they showed me, which was sort of emotionally devastating, really. Um, <clears throat> anyway, and then so afterwards I was sort of probably in a very low state. And he was, he was saying, yeah, you've just got to get his name. You know, Think about something else, and I said, I can't, you know, whatever. And he said, no, All right, all right, all right. Imagine you're in a room, not this horrible little room. you just arrived at a cottage somewhere around the north know, side, and it's pouring with rain. You, luckily, the front door's open, you've got in. there's nobody there. But there's, in this one room, it's just a, a fireplace, there's some ashes in the grate, and there's some orange peel just beside it, and then there's a, one shoe over there in the corner, it looks quite new. What's, what's happened? Tell me what's happened, what's the story? So I said, which one? I don't know which one. I said, no, 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 I don't I'm not talking about anything, just tell me, put that thing together. Yeah. Whose shoe was it? What, why would it and eventually said, All oh, right, all right, all right, so let's see. Maybe well obviously been somebody who was eating an orange. He'd been there not long ago, so peel's not too dry up. Yeah. yeah, so okay. But he's gone off without a shoe, so well maybe he had to run out in a hurry. Yeah, could be. Had a bit of a far game. who was it? so suddenly you're off. Mm. So that so you know but the thing made me that, me back to that was your question about how do we refine or rediscover a kind conscious of thing. And I think it is by, in a sense, by taking ourselves somewhere where there aren't so many stimuli and allowing, and just giving ourselves the task of creating an imaginary scenario or understanding something by putting a few things in there. Like starting a story, mm. like improv, if you like. Mm. Say, okay, I've got this, this, and this. How do we do that? Whereas just instead of just doing with the screens that we are uh, all rather dominating, you know, <clears throat> whether they're watching an actual <coughs> excuse me, film or doing our research, it becomes impossible, to, I find, to concentrate on research. Because you know, there's, there's always another web page that's looking interesting too, and there's another one. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know God,
1: leave me alone. I can't,
0: I can't read this one. So you collect 60,000 words that you're going to read you know, to maybe write a paragraph. You know, it's, it's sort of bonkers. Or, oh, my daughter, who's 12 years old, will be doing homework using one element of her mini iPad. So, it's not a big screen in the first place. While well, she's got a tiny corner it with some TV program allegedly running. And she's also got her phone, which is watching. Sort of, so, you have to so you switch that bit off,
1: concentrate on that, do your
0: writing. But it's interesting that sort of on one level, she's going to be spinning all over the shop, but it is kind of controlled. I'm thinking, you oh, know, take all that away and just make something up, whether it's a story you're writing, or if you want to draw something, don't go and get some cartoon version and then copy that. Later. Just imagine a tree, you know. So that's So I think in a way it's taking away the stimuli we have so much of and literally, I suppose we do, it's a cliche, you know,
1: thinking out of the box so that you will suddenly know. Yeah. There's a lovely thing that I use sometimes with groups, we've well, seen those things called story cubes there's like nine dice in a box, <coughs> and each side has a picture of something on it. Ah. So you get, you, could, you just get standard ones, but I bought the Moomin ones, because I really love the Moomin books. So it's like you roll the dice and you put them in a sequence, and then you have to tell a story that is based on... You, you could take three of the dice, or, nine yeah. or six, or whatever, and then you just tell a story. And it's going to be different every time because you have how you roll the dice. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I want to do a sort of set of transition dice. You know, so you imagine the future <laughs> of this place. Here you go, a of yeah, yeah. Um, a question I've asked everybody uh, while I've been doing this research is: if you were elected as the prime minister, if there was an election in a year's time, and you ran on a "Make Britain Imaginative Again" platform, not "Make America Great Again," but "Make Britain Imaginative." <laughs> so, so you said it is a national priority that we make this the most imaginative nation it could possibly be what might you do in your first 100 days in office
0: what I think I'd certainly do (coughs) would uh, revise completely the way we test children in school I mean having a 12 year old at the moment going through that but you know it's sort of devastating but it's always working towards the kind of just ticking boxes which i know is devastating for the teachers too because it's so undermining so you know boring you know and makes their work so much harder but without being creative you're not seeing children shine in the way that they can do they're always limiting them effectively because they're not allowed to fly so i think that would be the first thing i mean I i can't answer it specifically but essentially maybe saying let's free up the children not just to have to hit targets that somebody's arbitrarily imposed, but they have, even if it's just two lessons a week, where they can just literally not do art, slap paint around the place, or, or write stories, but they're not allowed to use anything else beyond their own imagination. Mm-hmm. And they might have to do it with, with the one or two other people, as a group. I think that would be that would be important. I think that that's probably that would probably be the the first thing. And then also to have insist that the BBC commission many, many programs for me in which, oh no, i mean the Prime Minister, I wouldn't need to, would I? <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have to, <laughs> but that, that they would be saying, okay, we are taking. let's look, at uh, maybe, it's, you know, journalists let's look at a big issue this week, it would be climate change, let's see a completely other way of looking at this, and it doesn't have to be balanced. Mm. So because you're saying... No it's all right we're using up our fossil fuels it, this is we, we'll have another ice age don't worry global warming it's just I don't have to give you the, the the credence for that i can just say i don't believe that at all so i'm just going to have my side which is i think it's all it's all melting or whatever and i think it would be great if one had so one would have the big issues would be freely op- openly debated, but not in that kind of balanced way, so mm. people just really have a chance to, you know, sort of go off on one. Or maybe, actually, maybe that's just mad. Maybe that is mad, because if you don't have the balance of it, you would have... you
1: don't give Nigel Lawson one. Yeah, yeah no, you're right, no, because it would be Ferrar, all the Nigels would be out there, Nigel Farage, yes, Nigel Lawson. Nigel. Yeah, so maybe,
0: none, that's not a good idea, but it would be the idea of saying, let's just look at John. something... Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just and rocks, occasionally, a few rocks. Uh, but bring them in and say... Uh, to, uh, to say let's look at this point from that point of view as the option so it would very much be your transition mm. yeah. let's look at this from another way of looking at it how do we we do it not if we were running it as a profit driven growth driven organisation company but simply because we wanted to achieve say, if we say, I mean, let's look at the purpose of whatever our organisation is and then say but if we put it over here that the purpose was also or instead it was to do this mm. how would we achieve that with BMW, or we're in Richmond Borough, Richmond Borough Council. If it needed cool. to do that, but did it in another way. Mm. How would how would you how would we achieve that? What would we want to achieve? Mm. So thinking of the libraries, which everybody's trying to keep, open, yeah. but they're all just easy easy to lop off because they're sort of easy to lock off because it's just a building with people with some books in there Awful. Well, okay, well let's just refocus on that. What else can we do? How else would we do? What's another way of making a library work? Mm. when you stand, but keep it in public ownership? So I do. I think that would be an interesting idea. How would we shift the emphasis of our various organisations, and how would what would we want them to become, and how would we achieve that? So this sounds to me, so you I'm nicking your of, idea. You would be kind of
1: curating
0: sort of what if. Spaces. Yes. Yes. Exactly that. Yes. Curating. Yeah. We'd be curating what if spaces. Perfect. Oh, you have got the job.
1: <laughs> and I guess just the last question is, which do you? Um, do you have a sense of the state of health of our collective imagination in 2018? If you were to dip your thermometer in, what's your sense of all you see around you? Well, interesting,
0: I think. What about creative imagination, I think we do fall foul, you touched on it right at the beginning of, 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 of introducing what you've been working at, the idea of,
1: I think creative
0: imagination is, is become largely focused, apart from being wealthy, wealthier than any of us can be, whether that's a child having more clothes than anybody ever had, when I was a boy, dreamt of, needed, certainly, um, to all of us needing to own a home and all that stuff. <coughs> So that our imaginations are limited by what we think is the best thing to have, because it's such a material world. We, the ma- majority of us tend to live in, you know, and certainly in the Western society. We've lost, we've lost a sort of spiritual outlet, whether that's religious or just an, an emotional and creative artistic, if you like, connection with the world and nature, as well as the creative, in you know, a visual world, written world. But then also, I think one of the key things is the word i mentioned earlier, which was fear. And I think, you know, a lot of our focus is on fear. Mm. When I look at what my daughter's reading or watching, she's only 11 or 12, and she was explaining to me what The Hunger Games was about, because I sort of blanked it all off when it came out. And I was saying, you're reading stories about kids going up and shooting at each other with bows and arrows, because they've got to, because they think the austerity world has gone mad. Yeah, it's really good, though. Anyway, so she made me, held my hand, and let me watch the first film of the trilogy or whatever it is, and I was impressed with the acting of it, so that I wasn't as grotesque, you know, as I thought it might be. But the idea is still was. But I thought, this is all working about fear. And somehow that's playing. In its so the imagination is huge on one level. But it's kind of a, a, a restricting one, And a, actually a kind of negative one in many respects. So so much of the story is not... I mean, okay, well, all kids' stories are focus on tension, Grimm's fairy tales. I mean, it's sort of you know, absolutely <laughs> terrifying story. So, that, so all the vampire stuff of modern, modern telly and literature, li- literature is sort of, I guess, just an extension of all that. But it does seem got God, that's an awful lot. Of it. Yeah. Where's, the, where's, where's the border stuff gone? I don't know. So yeah, I think the imagination is still there. It's bound to be there. But I think it isn't exercised mm. So it's we go along with enough sort of constraints on us, whether it's kids having to do certain type of exams, the peer pressure that we all have, all of us struggling to earn a living, you know, whether it's in Teddington or in Totnes, relatively, you know, it's probably going to be just this just, just one, sort of holding us back. And the distraction, I think the distraction is really, sorry, I'm rabbiting now, but that distraction,
1: I know that when I go from back. Phones and computers. From the phones to
0: computers, the technology, which is brilliant in many respects, but it will be, it will be it's very hard to sit down and do something. And I noticed that I'm not very good. I, like, I need to be able to be quietly thinking and reading. Mm. I'm not good if, particularly if other people are around me rubbish in a newsroom. I am actually working on recommend that. I mean freelancer at least I would. but I, I maybe I'm just not very clever. I can't have more than two or three ideas going on in my head at the time. I can sort of focus quickly on that and focus on that but most I mean, no, I want to try and get my head around this idea. Mm. So quite a slow reader, etc. But put me with a good novel like <laughs> whether it's a Dickens or a Gray novel from Silver or something. And you know, lose myself in that. I haven't lost that ability to read, thank you. <laughs>